My name is Lars Coburn, and I serve as the Director of University Relations at Bushnell University, so I'm swagging out here. Uh, and I just want to say welcome. Welcome to you guys here. Thanks for having me. I'm, I've gotten to know Sean, and if you know anything about Sean, uh, he's got a lot of energy. So I drank some coffee this morning. Maybe uh, those of you at home, welcome. Glad you're here. If you got a Bible, maybe you've got your coffee and you're caffeinated. You're as excited as Sean is for Christmas. Um, have you been noticing that as he's been doing this series? Are you excited for Christmas? Okay, that's about my reaction too. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not as exuberant about uh, Christmas as Sean is, but I think today... Uh, I'll get there. By the end of the message, I might be just as excited as Sean is for Christmas, and I hope you are as well. Um, we're doing a series, and I get to do the fourth one. Um, it's dangerous to give the guest the last one in the series, but the series is called, And He Shall Be Called. Uh, that's hard to say. It's called, And He Shall Be Called, but uh, it's about names, and so I thought I would spend a moment on some names. Uh, my university uh, used to be called NCC, or Northwest Christian College. In 2020, it changed its name. Uh, that causes some friction for some people, so if you're an NCC alum, I'm an NCU alum. We're all Bushnell alums, too, but if that isn't your name that causes some friction, maybe you can uh, think a little bit about my name. Uh, my name is Lars, and uh, I, I think it's hard because very few people know another Lars. So I want to I know, in the room, how many of you guys know another Lars other than, than the one you just met? Okay, that's cool. Put your hands down if, if the person you're thinking of is Lars Ulrich from Metallica. No? Okay, that... Sean told me to keep the awkward jokes, so I'm keeping the awkward jokes. Um, okay, so, so when I was born, it was 1991, and a guy was on TV uh, who's now on the radio, and his name is Lars Larson. And so I was dedicated on a church stage like this as a baby dedication, like I hold in my arms Lars Larson. And every time I introduce myself as Lars, they're like, oh yeah, like the guy on the radio. Um, but if you're not a, a conservative talk radio person or a fan of that, it can be a little awkward, like Lars Larson. Are you related to Lars Larson? My mom's maiden name is Larson, but there's no relation. So you don't have to write me off. I'm not a crazy talk radio conservative um, coming to bring this message. But whatever is invoked in you by names, it could be good, it could be bad. Um, names bring significance, right? Sean's been helping us think about that. Like, uh, you, we progress sometimes from, if you're a parent, uh, my, my wife uh, has birthed two of our beautiful little girls, and, and so she has kind of become uh, a mom now. And, and at different times, right, the two-year-old still kind of shouts out mommy and, and mama, and then other times the five-year-old is giving her sass now already, and she's just mom. Um, you, you names progress and take on different significance as the relationship progresses or grows. And uh, my wife and I named our daughters some specific names because we, uh, we wanted to remember the season of life and what God was teaching us through them. Uh, but their first names had no significance. So, you know, uh, Ashlyn is the first daughter's first name, and my second daughter is Sloan. And if you watch uh, any TV, uh, Newsroom is one of my favorite shows on HBO. Um, and it's an older show now, but it kind of talks about what the news's purpose is. And, and I really liked it. And on it, there was this gal's name named Sloan Sabbath. 
And so my wife and I really, it was like right before we got pregnant with our second one that we were watching the newsroom for a second time. And we were like, we really like this character, Sloan. And uh, maybe God is teaching us uh, Sabbath to rest, but, but we didn't really want people to be able to say like, oh, you just named your kid right after a TV show. Like that's kind of dangerous. Um, and will it age well? You know, you never know with a name. Um, so we, we kind of, we took the first name and then we thought, let's, let's spend some time praying about what God is teaching us in this season. So for our first daughter, this, the message that God was teaching us, uh, was that we needed to take a breath. So her middle name is Ashlyn Asela. And if you open up your Bible to like the book of Psalms, um, and flip through there, you might find this little word kind of off to the side of the poem, uh, Selah. It kind of like if we were singing the song and it cued the, the band to do a little instrumental moment, or maybe to cue the band to just pause and stop. Or if you're in a choir, it, pa- it teaches you uh, to say, hey, this is the moment to take a breath. Um, and that was an important thing for us to, to learn in that season of life. My wife had, uh, we'd been trying to have kids for quite some time, and, and she ended up with an ectopic pregnancy, which was quite scary for us. And so having uh, a successful pregnancy that was safe and everybody, we, we just needed to take a breath. And throughout um, the time when, when Ashlyn is disobeying or doing something and we pull out the middle name, right? Any parents do that? You know, pull out the middle Or maybe you're the person who gets called out, you know, hey, Lars Alexander, you know. Um, it, it, it's important. It reminds me. I, every time I hear her middle name, it reminds me that that's what God was teaching me through this important time in my life. And uh, our second daughter, uh, Sloane Cara, was born in COVID, so we have a COVID baby. Um, she, was, she was born in February of 21, and we found out that we were pregnant with her the same time that we put an offer in on our house, and it was the first house we were buying, and we thought, well, we're going to we can afford a bigger house here in Oregon. Uh, we used to live in, in Los Angeles, and so, like, prices were different, and, and it was like, this is really cool. We don't know that we need the third bedroom yet, and then we find out when our offer gets accepted, we're, we're pregnant with our second one. Okay, now we need that. We're, we're grateful for that. Um, but it was a time of transition in our lives. I, I had been serving for about seven years in, in ministry in Southern California as a youth pastor, and my wife was a teacher in, in the Pasadena School District. And both of us just felt like we need to use this COVID interruption, this, this pandemic that's stopping our normal lives, and ask the big questions. Where do we want to be? Uh, where do we want our family to grow up? Where is the place we feel called to? And so much of my identity, at least, uh, primarily, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about myself here, was wrapped up in what I do. So as I introduce myself, I'm Lars from Bushnell. This is what I do. It's hard for me to express my identity without saying the things that I do. And uh, so we named our, our second daughter's middle name, uh, Kara, which is the kind of uh, for beloved. It means beloved. And it was a reminder that I'm loved by God, not because of what I do, but for who I am. And, uh, and I need to move from this place of just identifying myself by what I do. And so maybe uh, as we come to this series, I want you to think a little bit about what God might be teaching you this Christmas season. We've looked at a passage from Isaiah chapter 9, and if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up there or uh, type it into your web browser and and come with us uh, to Isaiah chapter 9. 
let's spend some moments reflecting on some names that teach us something about our relationship with God. And I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. You might be new to the conversation. Uh, You might need to redefine the relationship with God this Christmas season. But whatever baggage you're bringing, God wants to teach you something, just like he taught me and my wife about the times of our life, to take a breath, uh, to know that we're beloved, not just by what we do, but who we are. And we can set aside some of those things. So what is it that you need to learn uh, from the name that he is called in Isaiah? Well, I'm actually going to read a larger chunk of the passage this morning, starting in verse 2 all the way through verse 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be used as fuel for fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end, He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So names have significance, right? We we sometimes uh, find them kind of as throwaway comments. Like uh, I used to joke that I had the Pokemon trifecta because I had a dog named Misty and my daughter's uh, nickname was Ash. Now, are there any Pokemon fans in the room? Anybody online? You like Pokemon? Okay. There's somebody laughing behind the camera, I know. Um, but, but sometimes we can throw, we can kind of use names as throwaway things, like um, the, the band Metallica, or the Pokemon joke, or there's, like, names can end up not being that significant in our culture. Uh, but in the Bible, names carry deep, deep significance. And just the chapter before this, the king of, Israel, or king of Judah named Ahaz is weighing uh, a battle strategy. He's got a war on his border, and he's got to decide. He's got people coming to him and saying, hey, align with this kingdom or align with this kingdom. Make this political alliance. It will go better for you if, or you might survive if. And there's this war and, and stuff going on, and he's got to make a decision. And so in chapter 8, the prophet Isaiah comes with three kids in tow that have distinct names, different names. These three kids, one of them has a really weird name that basically just means, you know what, in just a little time, those nations are going to be obliterated. So I'm not exactly sure how to translate it into English, but it's like basically this kid's name means pretty soon they're all going to be done. You're not even going to be worried about them. And then the second one is really familiar to you during Christmas time, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yeah, we know this one. Um, but there's a third kid, and I call him Remy. It's like Isaiah's like, hey, Remy, come over here. It means like remnant. Um, basically, only a remnant will return. And um, 
And I wonder what Isaiah is doing. He shows up like in the wilderness or like while at the king's court or somewhere. He shows up and he's got these three kids in tow and he says, here I am and the children God has given me. We are signs um, of what is going to happen. God was trying to teach Ahaz something through these three kids to trust God and not himself, to trust in this uh, promise that he's going to set things right, that in the darkness there's going to be a great light. So for you, what is the child, what is the message that God is trying to teach you this Christmas? Maybe it is a a gift uh, under the Christmas tree. Um, Maybe it is a gift of relationship with someone. Maybe, uh, like, like I have been doing, you've been kind of being taught about the gift of waiting. In the Christian calendar, uh, the season leading up to Christmas is actually called Advent, and we sometimes light certain colored candles, and we talk about these core values of, of hope and joy and peace. Um, and today is actually the third Sunday of Advent. I was trying to tell Sean, like, man, it's not Christmas yet, Sean, um, but it, it kind of is for, for us, right? We're, we, we can't wait. We put our lights up, and we get excited about Christmas, uh, like in January. We're like, Costco will be decorating for Christmas next year, like basically right after New Year's, it seems like. Um, and so we, we are not very good at this waiting thing. But for the Christian calendar, they're waiting not just for Jesus' first coming as a baby, but his second coming, when he's going to come back and set the world right again. Um, When wars and conflict no longer are going to dominate the face of the earth. And so we spend this time every year, Christmas, being taught some lessons by, by focusing on Jesus, the Christ child, but then also these other names that are used for Jesus. So not just Emmanuel, but in chapter 9, that he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father. And this week, our focus on, on the message is Prince of Peace. And verse 7 says that his government and peace, there will be no end. This seems to be the name that I think, uh, and maybe I'm biased because Sean gave me this passage and I get to be the last one on it, but I think this is the most significant of the names, right? Wonderful counselors, it's an important thing for Jesus to be our counselor, to share the things that are going on in our life with him. And he's wonderful. He's not just a good teacher. He's a wonderful counselor in our life. He's not just a, a, a kind of soft person. He's mighty. He's a mighty God. He's strong enough to fight our battles for us. We don't have to do it ourselves. He's going to provide for us. He is a mighty God. And he's also an everlasting father. He's a, he's a great parent. And he's intimately involved in our lives. And today, he's a prince of peace. So I want us to think about um, this idea of God being and Jesus being our Prince of Peace this Christmas. And what might that teach you? What might it be for Jesus to be your Prince, your ruler of peace in your life? And then we'll, we'll unpack that with kind of three, three points. Um, a lot of times when you're preaching, you want people to know when it's going to be over. And so I'll tell you, there's going to be three points, right? It's like a large person going through a, a barbed wire fence. Three more points, and then we're through. 
What does it mean for Jesus to be your ruler of peace? Well, I think we got to rethink what peace means. So number one, you've got to got to understand what this peace is. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's different than that. It's bigger than that. It's a wholeness, a well-being, even in conflict. Number two, we've, we've got to realize that the battlefield is not out there. It's not in Palestine or Gaza or Ukraine. It's not in Washington, D.C. or Salem. It's not in your home or at your workplace. The battlefield for this peace, this prince of peace, this rule of peace, is your heart. That's the battlefield for the prince of peace. And number three, um, if Jesus is your prince of peace, he sends you. You are sent on a mission of peace by your prince, by your ruler. You're to go with peace, and there should be more of a reign of peace where the people of peace are at. And so as we go out, if we're going to truly let the Prince of Peace, Jesus, be the ruler of peace in our life, the places we go should be different because we've been there. So let's spend a little bit of time thinking about this peace and what it means for the ruler of peace to be in our life. Uh, The word prince is not one that we use all that often unless we're talking about the the drama of Prince Harry or uh, like what happened to Princess Diana or we're we're interested sometimes in the royals of England. But we remember in 1776 that we had a revolution and we no longer have that monarchy. But each one of us has princes in our life. You might think of it as the the mayor of Monmouth or the the governor of Oregon could be a political prince of sorts. Uh, This word prince is probably more akin to like czar or ruler than than the monarchy or the royalty that we see in, in places like England today that are kind of figureheads or that were this dynasty based on your birth. Uh, the princes were these kind of sub-commanders or these people that appointed by the emperor or the divine entity. So you'd think of it as like in, in Rome, you might have the Roman emperor appoints these governors like Pontius Pilate, who is the one that Jesus stands before, or King Herod, who's like a puppet king in, in, the, in the Bible. Uh, he's, he rules on behalf of Rome in this place, in this province. And we see this in the Old Testament with Daniel being uh, taken from his home in, in Judah and Israel, and he's taken with other people to Babylon to become and learn what it means to serve the empire, the Babylonian emperor, and, uh, and be these rulers. So what does it mean for Jesus to be this ruler of peace? I think um, that we have to understand Jesus's kingdom or his rule is something that's unfolding. It's not 100% here yet, but it is 100% here. It's kind of a paradox of we have Jesus's peace in our life, but the ultimate peace where conflict and war and all that and disease is going to eventually be done away with at his second coming when we expect him again. And so in this moment, we can experience his rule and peace uh, while we wait for his ultimate peace, his ultimate rule. In, uh, in Rome, they would often call it the Pax Romana, or the Roman peace, uh, was, was because they were such a really good government. They had control. They had the best military. And in America, we often uh, live by this uh, with our 
uh, very strong military presence around the world. We encourage democracy. But there's always times where war and conflict break out. And you could think about your own lives, um, and now you bring it in close, and you'd say, in my own family, when we go to the holidays, I'm getting ready to spend 10 days in Pennsylvania with my in-laws. So I invite your prayers as we spend 10 days staying at at my in-laws house. And I love my in-laws, but I pray for peace, right? I pray for peace as we sit around the dinner table, as we open gifts, as we navigate uh, relationships that have many years of conflict and things that have gone on before. And so the peace that we're talking about, right? What is it? It's not an absence of conflict or war because that would be impossible in our world. Have you met, uh, like today, if you opened up your news app, probably one of the top stories is going to be what's going on in the war in Israel and Gaza and Palestine. We are faced with those wars that we know about and the conflicts we have no idea about. Conflicts um, in, in relationships too that go unseen and unheard by the news. And so if I'm honest, I need a peace, a rule of peace that can exist even in conflict. And so if you've ever um, studied the, the Hebrew ne- uh, name for peace, it's, it's shalom. It's a word that is often used as a greeting. So if you went to a, a Jewish home, uh, maybe during Hanukkah or something like that, and you were greeted, you would greet just like we say, hello, how are you? They might say shalom. And then as you leave, they might say shalom as a goodbye. Um, and so this meaning of this word has more. It has like a peace be with you, a peace for you, a, a peace as you go. It's a wholeness, a well-being that they're inviting you into. And that well-being, the rule of Jesus, can be even in conflict, even when there's stuff going on. And since the, the battlefield is your heart, we need to talk a little bit about what does it look like for this peace, this whole being, this well, wholeness and well-being to happen even in conflict. Well, that's because we're spending time focused on our heart, not on our external circumstances, but on what's going on inside us, how we react to things. So if you, if you want, um, there's this great passage in Colossians chapter 3, and you might turn there just uh, as you daze and kind of uh, fade in and out of listening to what I have to say. You might just spend some time reading Colossians chapter 3, or maybe later this afternoon you'll do that. But Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 begins this way. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And here it comes. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule. Well, what does that rule look like? It looks like clothing yourselves with compassion and kindness, the fruit of the Spirit that, he, that Paul references in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's no uh, speed limit on love, right? 
as you travel along the road of life, as you let the peace of Christ rule and reign in your heart, in this kingdom, there's no rules against things like humility and gentleness and patience. These are the things that bring about peace. And they're not external things. They're not political alliances or posturing or working really hard or doing all the right things or even saying all the right things. They are a heart condition, a fruit of the Spirit that happens in your heart. And I think for us as Americans, we struggle to do this because we've been taught so often to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, to be the Savior in our story. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul makes this really, really a lofty declaration that we should not be anxious about anything. And I don't know if your anxiety is higher in uh, the, the holiday season, but I read articles every day. And just the other day, Bushnell was uh, educating. We just graduated 30 mental health counselors because Lane County is like apparently one of the least, um, it has the highest need and one of the least uh, number of counselors available to meet that need. And so during this holiday season, I think about the people who are struggling with anxiety, and I hear Paul say, don't be anxious. And I'm like, how? How can we do that? Well, this is how. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If the battlefield for peace is your heart, you can't guard it. You can't guard it from the things that are coming to attack it. And this is what Ahaz was struggling to do. He wanted to protect the city and the people by his own power, and he couldn't guard it. The, the children of Isaiah, the signs were to say, you need a savior. You need to trust me. You need to trust God. The peace of God cannot rule in your hearts by your own power. You need someone else to guard your heart. You need Jesus to be the guard of your heart. And so today, if that's something that you haven't done, maybe you want to chat with somebody. If you're online, maybe you want to chat with one of the chat hosts and talk about what does it look like for me to let Jesus guard my heart. If you're here in the room, maybe there's a pastor or maybe after the service you want to come to talk to me about what does it mean for us to have this wholeness and well-being, even in conflict, guarding our hearts, this Jesus who has a simple name, right? He could have been called some lofty name, but at birth, his parents gave him a simple name, Yeshua in, in Hebrew or Jesus in Greek, which just simply means the Lord saves. And I think that that's the simple declaration that we all have to make in order for peace to rule in our hearts. For Jesus to be our Prince of Peace, we have to admit that we aren't the ruler, that the toddler in your household, like my two-year-old who wants to rule the day, or that family member who's difficult and hard to deal with, wants to rule the household or rule the party, and it's chaotic when the two-year-old hasn't had her nap and she's like the demon child, and you're not sure what she's doing, and you just want to say her first and middle name and say, ah, you're not the ruler of this household. We all need a Jesus because in reality, we are just like that two-year-old. Our lives would be a chaotic ride, a ride of anxiety. But when Jesus is the ruler of peace, the one who sets his reign in our heart, that allows us to be people of peace. In the Old Testament, there's this wonderful blessing given to the, the priests and the, the people of God. Um, and what the invitation is, is 
when you bless them, and they would kind of do this ceremony, they might, um, they might have the people stand and receive this blessing, and, and the priest might hold out their hand or even sprinkle with maybe water or oil, and they would say this blessing on people. They would say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And there's this little commentary that says, when you do this, when you have this act of blessing others, you place the name of the Lord on them. This name that means Prince of Peace, this name that means the Lord saves, this name on people, and God will be the one that blesses. You see, it's not some magic formula when you come to church, or it's not something when you take the communion emblems that, that magically transforms you. It's not something that, that's magical about the waters of baptism when you give your life to Christ. It is actually about coming into the intimate presence of God who will bless you, who will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, who will make your heart a place of peace. And so when you do that, the third point, when you've made Jesus your ruler of peace, then you are sent with peace. In, in John uh, chapter 14, Jesus is getting ready uh, to, to leave and die on the cross, and he's having uh, a meal with his disciples. It's actually the Last Supper. Um, and in John 13, he, he washes his disciples' feet, and then in John chapter 14, he has this long conversation with them, and they ask a question, where are you going? Don't, can't we go with you? And, and he kind of explains to them that he's going to have to die. And they're like, what is this? And he says, do not be afraid. My peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus has left us with a rule, a reign of peace that allows us to not let our hearts be troubled. But it's not like the world gives. It's not the absence of conflict it's a well-being even amidst conflict. And if anything is a gift we can give our friends and neighbors this Christmas, it would be that everywhere we go looks a little more peaceful after we've been there. That even amidst the conflict with your coworker or with that family member, that you respond and react in a way of peace. You see, Jesus, after he died and he rose again in John chapter 21, he appears to his disciples and he says to them, peace be with you. And he showed him his hands and his side. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive anyone's sins, they are not forgiven. We are sent as to be people of peace. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Today, we get to uh, be Jesus is the prince. We get to be his officers in his government. And there's going to be no end to his rule of peace in our world. Well, because we're sent as people of peace into this place. So may you let uh, Jesus be the ruler of peace in your hearts. And may your homes and your, your families and your workplaces and Monmouth and, and everywhere that we we go to all the way to Pennsylvania and around the world, be places of peace because Jesus is ruling in our hearts. I want to invite you to stand and receive a benediction from the Apostle Paul, and then I'm going to pray for us. This benediction comes from 2 Thessalonians 3. If you'd stand uh, and receive this, this blessing. 
Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all.